you that you have you've given us your word so that we wouldn't be in the dark, so that we wouldn't be without guidance, but you would guide us according to your grace, according to your will, and you do so through your word. We thank you that we have the confidence that when we hear the word speak, we hear you speak. We need no other voice. We need no other vision. We need no other communication. We have your divine revelation in Scripture. It is more than sufficient. It is divine. We thank you for that word. It is powerful. It it is active. And it works in those who believe. We thank you for that word that comes to us through the means of preaching. We pray, God, that you would lift Christ high this morning and let Nate decrease. But let us see Jesus, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Nate. It's hard to believe. Okay. It's hard to hear myself sometimes from up here, so I have to always look and see. It's, it's hard to believe that another year, um, another year has passed us by. Um, as I reflected over this past week about this past year, um, I was forced, forced really to consider the sovereignty of God. You know, as, as Randy um, had requested prayer for earlier, considering the Morrison family, um, I had thought about how this past year as a church family, as, as individuals, how we have... Um, how we've suffered through hardships and how we've suffered through losses. Um, how we've said goodbye to friends and to loved ones and how we've welcomed new life and how we are anticipating over the next several weeks um, welcoming new life again. Um, we've dealt with illnesses. Some people have lost their jobs. Some people have gained their jobs. And in all of this, God is sovereign. In fact, if God wasn't Sovereign, there would be there would be no hope. There would be no hope for salvation. There would be no hope for perseverance. There would be no joy in life, and there would be no peace in life. And this week, as I was studying, even though this has nothing to do with the text that we're going to look at today, as I was as I was studying and as I was studying and praying for the Morrison family, as well as praying for my church family, for you guys. I was drawn to the events of this past year and, and drawn to contemplate and praise God for his sovereignty and for the hope that we have in a sovereign God. So as we, within the next week, rapidly close out this year, I want to encourage you to do the same thing, to contemplate the sovereignty of God and to praise him for his sovereignty. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we again. God, you are sovereign, Lord, and we praise you and we thank you for your sovereignty. God, there is no hope apart from you. There is no meaning in anything in life apart from you. So we praise you And we thank you, Father, for the life that you have given us, for the hope that you have given us. 
the hope in this life that you've given us, that when things happen, when, when bad things happen, God, we know that they happen for your glory and for our good. The hope, Father, that you've given us, not just in this life, but for eternity, Father. We thank you for that. We praise you for that. Father, I ask this morning that you would speak to us through your word. God, that you, that you, Father, would do this work. That you would make sense of the text to us. That you would enable us to apply it in our lives, Father, in such a way that would glorify you and that would proclaim your grace to those around us. We love you and we thank you. We ask these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. If you would open your Bibles to James, James chapter 1. We are going to continue what we began last month as a three-part study. Um, a three-part study over James chapter 1, starting in verse 19 through verse 27. James chapter 1, 19 through 27. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and then gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Last month when we began this three-part series, we considered verses 19 through 21, and the, the outline point we associated with those verses were receive. We talked about receiving the word. Today we're going to consider verses 22 through 25 deals with responding to the word. Lord willing, next month we'll look at verses 26 and 27. It's reflecting the word. So we had receive the word, respond to the word, and reflect the word. James says in verse 22, he says, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Now, if you recall last time, we considered the fact that for the believer, repentance wasn't just a one-time event, right? Because James in, in verse, I believe it was 2021, he, he called us to repentance, right? And we discussed the fact that repentance wasn't just a one-time event, like I repented once a long time ago, and now I'm a believer. But yes, we did that if you are a believer, but we're called to 
continue to repent. I repented and I am repenting, right? So it's a continuous process for the life of a believer. In fact, it's something that should characterize your life. That person is a repenter. He is a Christ follower. James says here, he says, but prove yourselves doers of the word. Now, this is a command. And this command, like repentance, is to be continual in the life of the believer. Again, a characterization, if you will, of that person's life. Not, I did that once a long time ago. The word said do, and I, I did that. No, I am a doer. You are to be a doer. Your life should be characterized by that. That man there, he's a Christ follower. He's a repenter. She is a repenter. He is a doer of the word. She is a doer of the word. Something that characterizes your life. This command, James is saying simply, be a doer. That is, do what God's word says. Now, this is not just referring to external doing, things that are visible on the outside, external works, if you will, but also commands that we are to do internally as well. Turn with me, if you would, to Exodus chapter 20. we will look at just two, two of the Ten Commandments that deal with, again, doing, doing initially uh, uh, from the overview from the outset, appear to be doing just externally. Exodus 20, 13, 14. God says, you shall not commit murder and you shall not commit adultery, right? External physical things that you should not do. So do not do these things. Do not physically commit murder. Do not physically commit adultery. And by not doing them, you are a doer of the word. External. But let's look at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 and 22. This is Jesus speaking here. He says, You have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. Whoever says to his brother, You're good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. Whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Skip down to verse 27, 28. Again, he says, you have heard it that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
So this doing that we are commanded to do, do what God's word says. Again, it's not just external things that we do. He's not just talking about external issues, but he's also talking about issues of the heart. Things that others might not see. You might be able to look at a man and say, well, that man does good works. He's a doer. But if those works aren't a result of a changed heart, those works are nothing. And in fact, that man is not a doer. So understand when we talk about this today, this command to be doers, we're not just talking about physical works, but it's also the heart behind those works. Says, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. A hearer is nothing more than a passive listener, one who is present yet ultimately lacks really any intent to participate in or apply that which they're hearing. Hearers don't want to obey God. And they don't want to be doers. It says, hearers delude themselves. Your version, I believe the ESV says, deceive themselves. Now this deception, the deception of the hearer is a self-deception. It's a self-deception. It's not deception from Satan. It's not some form of demonic spiritual warfare. No, the deception of the hearer is self-deception, which is a result of sin in that person's life. So what is the hearer? Or what is it that the hearer is deceiving him or herself about? What is this deception that James is discussing? We said that as believers, we should be characterized by repentance, by being a doer. A hearer, and a hearer only, if a person, if a person's life is characterized by being a hearer only, might be someone who has spent every Sunday of their life in church, doesn't matter, but that person's life is characterized by being a hearer only, then the deception that James is referring to in regards to that person is this, that that person has deceived themselves into believing that they are saved because they're here, because they read their Bible. But one who is a hearer only and not a doer, it's a false convert, is not a believer. We know that the church is full of hearers, right? And when I say church, I don't mean the true church, right? By definition, the church is what? The church is believers, right? If you want, we can, we can throw out the term, the visible church, the church around us, the Western evangelical church, right? We know that. We know that church buildings, if we want to call them that, gathering houses, whatever terms we want to throw out there, on a whole in our culture, in our society, in our country today, is full 
false converts, full of hearers only, those who have deceived themselves into believing that they're believers and yet they're not. They possess, uh, they, they, sorry, they profess faith, but yet they don't possess faith. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. And depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Jesus was dealing with hearers only. Again, there might have been some outward works. I don't want to say evidence, but outward works, outward doing in their lives. And yet they never knew him because there was never a, a heart change. There was ultimately never a response to the gospel, never a response to God's word in their life. Now, maybe you don't fall in that category. Maybe, maybe you are a believer, and yet maybe your entire life has not been characterized by being a doer. Maybe you're in a period of your life right now, however, where you're not doing. I believe James is also addressing this group here as well. You have the, the, the pure hearers, if you will, or the, the true hearers, the hearers only, that's all they could ever be ca categorized or classified as as a hearer. They're, they're not believers, okay? And then you have believers who are in this period in their life, right? Period of sin is what it is. But this period in their life where they are hearing only and not doing. Now, the deception that James speaks about is similar in that category for the believer as it is for the unbeliever. And in this case, if you are a believer who is a hearer, you are deceiving yourself into believing that hearing is all that is necessary for spiritual maturity. In fact, you're deceiving yourself into believing that you are spiritually mature when in fact you are not. So this is the believer who is a hearer. So I was thinking, what if, what if you're not in either one of those categories, right? And I was, I was confronted with this truth this week. What if, what if you are a believer? What if you're not, you're not a hearer only, and really you're not in a period of life where you could be categorized as as hearing. I mean, you 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 you're a doer. I mean, you 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 love the word and and. You desire to respond to the word. You want to do what it says. You don't feel obligated to it. I mean, you want to do it. What if, what if you're there? Does this apply or how does it apply? But here's the thing. None of us are doers all the time. None of us do all the time. 
We, we omit all the time. We don't do all the time. As I was studying this text, I was confronted with the things in my life that I have overlooked or that I don't do. Or when I'm studying and my son comes in my room and I turn around and I snap at him and tell him to get out, make sure you knock next time. And I don't handle it with love and grace. I didn't do. I didn't do. I don't do all the time. The thing is, is you don't do all the time, even if you are a doer. So what's the solution? Regardless of where you fit, and everybody's in one of those categories. I mean, either you are a hearer only, or you are a believer in this, this period of your life when you are not hearing, you are being disobedient, which is sin, or you are a doer, but yet you don't do all the time, and when you don't do, it's still sin. So what's the solution? Well, the solution is to look to the one who did all the time, to look to the perfect doer, and that's Christ. The solution for the hearer only is to repent and believe and be saved, to turn from your sin, to turn to Christ, the perfect doer, and to be saved. And for the believer living in this period of unrepentant sin, if you will, in his or her life, the solution is the same. It's to repent and be restored. For those who are doers and yet don't do all the time, I believe the solution is to, one, being aware of that, is to pray, one, for conviction and awareness of that. God, make me aware of when I don't do what I'm supposed to do. Because it's easy. We omit things. I mean, there's sins of commission, right? We, we, We do these intentional acts, and we know it, and we're aware of it. Then there's those times when we have those sins of omission when we're maybe so wrapped up in ourselves or wrapped up in other things that we just react, we don't think, we, we don't do when we should have done. God, make me aware of those things. Convict me of those things. And the response is the same as the other two groups. It's to repent of those things. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Second Corinthians 13, verse 5. Paul says this. He says, Test yourself, I'm sorry, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves? That Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test. This verse, James, prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers who do delude or deceive themselves. James is forcing us through this command in this verse to do what Paul commanded us to do here in, 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 in 2 Corinthians. It's to examine yourself. It was my challenge this week. I pray it's your challenge through this text is to examine yourself. Are you a hearer? Am I merely just a hearer who is self-deceived? My believer who who is in this, this period, this funk, if you will, of, of hearing only and not doing. Do I not do 
all the time. I know I don't do all the time, even though I want to do all the time. Examine yourself. That's what James is forcing us to do here in this text, is to examine ourselves. Where do I fit? Which one is me? Now, in verses 23 and 25 of this text, James gives us an analogy that not only reinforces the fact that we must examine ourselves, but also gives us a deeper insight as to the sins of the hearer, the steps of the doer, and the sweet reward for obedience. So in verses 23 and 24 and 25, we're going to consider through this analogy the sins of the hearer, the steps of the doer, and the sweet reward for obedience. Verse 23 says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not becoming a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. The sins of the hearer. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. The mirror is the word of God. And the man's face is the content, the commands, the instruction of the word of God. This man merely looks in the mirror. He glances at it. That's his first sin, is that he merely looks at it. Liken this to looking in the mirror as you're rushing out the door. And I know, I know everyone here has probably done that. You're, you're late, you're on your way to something, some event, some whatever. You get dressed real quick. There's a mirror right by your door. Uh, maybe there is, maybe there isn't. You rush through the bathroom, you take a quick peek. You're out the door, you're on your way, and you never give a second thought to what you looked at in the mirror. You never really even considered it in the first place. So the first sin of the, the hearer is that. He just merely glanced at it. He merely looked at it. Ultimately, never even considered it in the first place, even while he was, was looking, or in this case, hearing the word of God. Maybe he, again, or she, is, has been in church every Sunday of their life. Even reads their Bible, but never really gave it any thought or consideration thought that just the hearing or the looking or just the, the, the reading was sufficient and then goes on from there, never once again thinking about it. There is no depth to the hearing, to the reading for that person, for the hearer. Second sin of the hearer is this. It says, for once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. So the first sin was that he just merely glanced at it, his face, at the word, the content of it. 
The second is this, is that he forgets. And he forgets because there was no focus, because there was no true intention of ever remembering or retaining that which he looked at or that which he heard or that which he or you or she read. The hearer has no true intention of ever applying that which is heard or that which is read. The merely looking, the glancing, the unattentiveness, the forgetfulness leads ultimately then to the disobedience of the hearer. There will be no obedience to the word. There will be no doing of the word if there is no serious consideration, thought, or attention giving, give in to the word. Verse 25. 25a, really. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. Now, the looking of this man, the looking of this person, the looking of the doer, is different than the looking of the hearer. Okay, he said the looking of the hearer was, was but a glance. Now, if you have an ESV Bible, it says the looking of the hearer was intently, looks intently. Don't think that's a good translation, right? The looking of the doer is intently. The looking of the hearer is not. It's but a glance. And the word in the Greek for, for the looking of the hearer, I'm not going to even try to pronounce it because I, I've tried it home and I can't even get close to figuring out. But it means this. It means to stoop down low to take a closer look. It's not just a quick glance, but it's to go in close. I liken this to um, it was the first day of muzzleloader season this past year, and we were about to take a family vacation, and I wasn't going to get to hunt, but I wanted to just go out that morning anyway and walk around in the woods. I was walking through the woods, nice leaf-covered trails and everything, and I was walking at one point. Something had kind of moved in front of my, my feet. I thought to myself, oh, well, it's just a stick. You know, you step on a stick and it kicks the leaves up or whatever. So I stepped on a stick and then, and then I, I took another two or three steps. And I thought, well, I think it was a stick. And so I just looked back and I was like, yeah, it was just a stick. And then I kept walking. And then I thought to myself, well, really, I didn't see a stick. I mean, I just glanced at it, right? I just merely glanced at it. I just looked as a hero would look, right? And so I thought, I'm going to go back and take a... And I don't even know why I was compelled to do this, because I never do this, but I was, I was compelled to turn around and to take a closer look. And it was like, I don't know, 6.45 in the morning, so it was real low light. I couldn't, I couldn't see real well, and so I had to stoop down low to see the stick. Again, don't know why I was compelled to do this. And so I stooped down low right over where I saw the stick move. And there's a copperhead right there. And so I didn't step on a stick. I almost stepped on a copperhead. But as I was thinking about that this week, you see, first I just glanced at it. I stepped over it, right? Deceived myself into thinking it was a stick. 
having been compelled to go back and verify, I had to stoop down low, right? Look intently at it to discern and to see what it was. And I found out that it wasn't a stick. In fact, it was a snake that shortly thereafter died. But that's another story. Um, <laughs> however, this is, this is what James is dealing with here, right? The difference between just merely glancing at something as opposed to looking intently at something. Now, to look intently at the perfect law, and the perfect law is the Scriptures. For us, it's the entirety of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. It's the perfect law. He says, the law of liberty, which might seem like a, uh, somewhat of a paradox, right? Law gives liberty. Well, the gospel, right, does give liberty. John 8, 31. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Romans 6.22 But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. The gospel to believers is the law of liberty because we have been freed from the domain, the control of sin. So James says to look intently at the perfect law, that's this, right? The law of liberty, the gospel that has set us free to look intently is to, one, it's to listen with our minds, not just our ears, not just a hearing, an audible noise, but it's to think as we hear. It's to think as we read, as we study. In fact, it is to study. It's not just to read Scripture. To look intently is not just to read God's Word, but it's also to study God's Word. You understand that there's a difference, right, between reading God's Word and studying God's Word. Devotion, even devotional readings for believers are good, and they're nice, and they're important. But even in that, there's a difference between devotional reading and Scripture study, getting to the meat of it. What is it that God is saying here what is, it, what is he saying to, to us? What does it mean? And how do I apply it to my life? Not just, I read it, let's move on. But what is he saying? How do I apply it? How does this affect my daily life? To look intently is to meditate on God's Word. It's to meditate on God's Word. Now, nowhere, nowhere in Scripture will we find the explicit command in these words that says, thou shalt study my word constantly, right? Not in those words, because some will argue, well, nowhere is there the specific command that believers have to, you know, be all about scripture study constantly and all this and all that. But in fact, unexplicitly implied, if you will, 
the Bible is full of commands that we as believers are to look intently at the perfect law. Deuteronomy 6. And we're going to go through about a half a dozen or so verses here that demonstrate the fact that as believers, we are to look intently. In fact, we are expected, we are commanded to look intently, to study, to discern Scripture. Deuteronomy 6. So 6, 4, known as the Shema, which was like the, the most standard and basic, if you will, of Hebrew prayers, like the very first, I believe, uh, a prayer that, that even young Hebrew children would have been taught, demonstrating the importance, even 2,000 plus beyond years ago, to study and to know God's Word. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words, which I am commanding you today, shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is not what the hearer does, right? The hearer what? Looks in the mirror, takes a glance at it, he leaves, he forgets. But the doer looks intently, right? He studies, and he thinks, and he meditates about these truths on God's word. Psalm 1. Psalm 1, 1 through 3. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And whatever he does, it prospers. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew verb. Uh, um, chapter 4, verse 4, and this is during the temptation of Christ. Jesus is responding to Satan here who had just tempted him to turn stones to bread. And Jesus says, he says, but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The desire of the doer to live on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Acts chapter 17. Verse 
verse 11. Paul's second missionary journey, right? Berea, this was just past Thessalonica, I believe it was. They just finished there, right? Verse 11. Now these, speaking of the Bereans, now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. The doer is going to what? It's going to receive the word with great eagerness, a desire for it, and to do what? Examine the scriptures. As the Bereans examine the scriptures daily, so the doers, the doers of the word, are going to desire to do the same thing, to examine the scriptures daily. Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Teaching and admonishing with what? The word of God. 2 Timothy 2.15. Now, you might say, just as we, we flip there, well, Paul was talking to young pastor Timothy. And so this passage really is just dealing with those who are called to to pastor or to minister in some form or some fashion. But that's not true because the pastor, the the, the missionary, the minister, the teacher should, should be nothing more than an exemplification of what all believers are called to do. 2 Timothy 2.15. He says, Be diligent. To present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Be diligent in what? Be diligent in studying the scripture. Your your version might actually say or use the word study in verse 15. That's what Paul is addressing to Timothy. He's talking about studying the word, knowing the word, not merely looking at it or glancing at it, as the hearer, but stooping down low and looking intently as the doer. So the truth is this, maturing, maturing, and I use that right there. there I hate to use the term mature believers as, as though someone has arrived, right? Because we know this side of heaven, none of us will have arrived, right? So I like to use the word maturing believers. And we, we understand that there are different levels, right? Take a, a new Christian who we could classify that person as a maturing believer. Babe in Christ, yes. Immature in, in, in various aspects, absolutely. But are they maturing? I, I hope so, right? And then you might have older believers who are more mature, yet they are continuing to mature, right? So, so I use that, and I want to clarify that, maturing believers, not mature believers. Relatively speaking, yes, some are more mature than others, but nobody has arrived. And if you think you have arrived, then you're probably a hearer only, okay? So maturing believers, maturing believers are going to hunger and thirst for the meat of God's Word. Maturing believers are going to have a love for doctrine and 
theology. Maturing believers are going to want to stoop down low and look intently at God's word. They're going to want to hear. They're going to want to not just but read, but they're going to want to study God's word. And they're going to want to do it so they can apply it in their lives. Not out of just pure obligation. The Bible says it. I got to do it. But out of desire, out of devotion, they're going to want to do it. Now, sadly, today, many who profess to be Christians, many who hold themselves out as pastors, and I, I, I use that term at times, pastors, loosely, because I believe there are many who, who claim to be pastors and yet are not according to the qualifications of a pastor in, in Scripture. Many who hold themselves out have, as pastors have completely undermined the importance and the necessity of looking intently. And they have completely disregarded God's command and desire for believers to do so. Maybe you've heard this statement. I've, I have heard it um, from a pastor who made this statement. We don't preach, we don't teach doctrine or theology Doctrine and theology, right? Doctrine divides. We don't preach or teach doctrine or theology. We just preach and teach Jesus. Maybe you've, maybe you've heard it. Maybe you've, you haven't. That, that sentiment, unfortunately, is, is rather popular in certain wings of the evangelical church. It's absolutely ridiculous. If one doesn't preach teach or study biblical doctrine, then you might as well take your Bible and throw it in the trash. You have no need of it then. Doctrine, basic form, doctrine is simply a teaching concerning something. So even when someone makes a statement, doctrine divides, that statement is actually a doctrinal statement. It's actually an, ac- uh, it's actually an accurate doctrinal statement because doctrine does divide. But, but to say doctrine divides, and because doctrine divides, we don't teach doctrine? Well, they just made a doctrinal statement of themselves. It's absolutely just ridiculous to make a statement like that. And those who say, well, we don't, we don't study theology. We don't preach theology. We just preach Jesus. I mean, it's, it's again, it's ridiculous. Theology, theology is what? Theology is the study of God, right? Jesus is God. So if you don't study theology, but yet you preach Jesus, then I'm going to have to assume that the Jesus you're preaching must be a false Jesus because you're not preaching Jesus as God because you don't preach God. You don't study God, right? So you're preaching and teaching a false Jesus. Now, either they believe it and they're a heretic, or they're just absolutely foolish. Preaching and teaching and studying biblical doctrine and biblical theology is essential for believers— It's essential for spiritual growth. It's essential to being a doer, and it's commanded. I've also heard, and and this personally, from a a, a church that my wife and I used to attend, a pastor there would make a, a statement, and I've heard it on several occasions, and he would say, we don't need, or what we don't need, we don't need, it's another Bible study, we don't need, another sermon, what we need is people to get out and serve. Now, his desire was to see people become doers, okay? 
His desire was to see them become doers at the expense of looking intently, stooping down low, studying the word. And every time I would hear this statement, I would think to myself, this is what James is addressing here too, I would think to myself, if you want people to be doers, then preach the word. If you want people to do what the word says, then actually preach it. Preach it properly. Preach it truthfully. If you want people to be doers, teach it. Encourage them to study it. Verse 25b, he says, but one who looks intently, right, stoops down low at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. Again, hearing, right, looking intently, right, studying precedes doing. It says, become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. This man will be blessed in what he does. The sweet, the sweet reward of obedience is this. It's a blessing. That's it. The reward of doing, the reward of obedience is blessing. Joshua 1.8. The book of the law, God's word, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate it, meditate on it day and night. This is what James is, is addressing to us. But you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. You will be blessed. This is like an Old Testament version of what James was talking about there. Okay. Luke chapter 11. Verse 27 and 28. While Jesus was saying these things, one of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, on the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. Obedience, doing, equals blessing. Not material things, though, right? You will be rich if you obey God. You will have a good job and a big house if you obey God. No, it's not what James is talking about here. It's not what God is talking about here. You want to walk with God? Do you want to walk with God? You want to close relationship with Christ? Do you want to grow in sanctification? Become less and less like the world? More and more like Christ? Do you want joy in your life? Do you want peace? Do you want, do you want hope in the sovereignty of God? Those are spiritual blessings. Then be obedient, that's what James says then be obedient and respond to the word. Let's pray.
Father, I thank you for I thank you for your word, God. You've promised in your word that your word does not return void. And God, I pray that you would use your word, you'd continue to use your word, one, to force us to examine ourselves. God, and if there is anyone in here today or those in here today that are hearers only, Father, I pray, God, that you would grant them repentance and faith, that you would save them, Lord. For those of us, Father, who are believers, maybe doers, maybe struggling with doing God, I know at times I do, Father. I pray, God, for conviction, and I pray for repentance, Father. I want to be a doer, God. I want to be a doer all the time, and I, and I know this side of heaven, I'm, I, I won't. I know I'm going to fail, but God, I pray for conviction. I pray for repentance. I pray, God, for the strength to do, to be a doer, God, and I, and I want to be a doer. Not that, that I just have to out of obligation, God, but I want to please you. I want to glorify you, God. Lord, make that the desire of my life, the desire of our lives as a church, as, as believers, God, to want to glorify you as we do. But we know, Father, that, that before we do, we have to know, we have to study, we have to hear, we have to listen, God. And so give us a hunger and a thirst, Father, for your word, not just to read it and not just to audibly hear it, but to know it, to understand it, desire to want to meditate on it day and night, to be consumed by it. Father, I thank you for the many blessings, God, that you have bestowed upon us, none of which we deserve. And it's only by your grace and for your glory that you've done it. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. We praise you. You're the only one worthy of all praise and all honor and all glory. Amen.